0: Welcome back to Holding Space Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy. And in today's episode, we're talking about that experience of having a new baby and then all of a sudden realizing that you have all of these decisions to make. You want to be a good parent. You want to be a good mom. But you have all these decisions and you've now been indoctrinated into this community of parents where unfortunately there's a lot of parent shaming that can happen and judgment and polarization. And you're wondering, okay, what does the science say? Like, what is the right decision here? So I'm so excited because in today's episode, I have Dr. Tina Payne Bryson on the podcast. I was so thrilled when she reached out and I'm so grateful to get a chance to share my conversation with her, with you. She is a New York Times best-selling author. She's a therapist and mom to three. You may have heard of her from her books with Dr. Dan Siegel, Whole Brain Child, and No Drama Discipline. And she recently wrote her first solo book, bottom line for baby, which we're talking about in today's episode, to address all of those questions that you might have. And you might be wondering, what's the science say? Well, guess what? Tina has not only done the research for you, but her whole book is basically a big, gentle invitation into making the decision that is right for your family and your baby, where you can feel empowered to know what the science says, while also taking into consideration your specific situation. Now, a quick word about our sponsor for this episode, which is Stork. They have sponsored the postpartum series that I've been sharing recently. Stork is S-T-O-R-Q. And in the prior episodes, you've heard me talk about their clothing line. They have nursing tanks and nursing bras that are made of cotton and super stretchy and comfortable that I wear everywhere. I wear to bed. I wear during the day. I wear to go pick up the kids from school. But they also have a beauty line that I want to talk about. So their beauty line has products like nipple balm that I use after all my breastfeeding sessions to help prevent those dry and cracked nipples that can make breastfeeding uncomfortable sometimes. What I love about their beauty line is that all the ingredients are 100% natural and organic. I am so thrilled to be partnering with Stork and to have a discount code for you. So if you use the code holding Space, you can get 10% off your first order. If you go to the show notes, you'll find links to my favorite products from their beauty line. Head over to their website and fall in love with the brand, just like I have. All right, are you ready to jump into the episode? It's going to be you, me, and Dr. Tina Payne Bryson. Let's get to it. While I hope that this podcast is supportive to you, it is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed health provider. I'm so glad you're here. Let's dive in. Tina, thank you so much for making the time to have this conversation with me today. I can't even tell you how excited I am to, to be doing this with you. I have read all the books, all the books Aww. i had. I had um, your colleague Dan Siegel on the podcast a while back, and it is just such a joy to get a chance to connect with you in this way. Thank you so much.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Cassidy. I'm excited to talk with you. There's, you know, parenting is super hard, and there are more and things that seem to complicate it. So i love to get to talk about how to help parents feel more confident and relaxed.
0: Okay. Well, let's talk about your new book, The Bottom Line for Baby. So you reached out and you sent me a copy. And can I tell you, Tina, like, I'm not even kidding when I say with my first, which was now nine years ago, I remember being with my partner and I was probably crying and emotional and just saying to him, like, can someone just tell me what the right answer is? Like I was so not prepared for all of the decisions that come in that first year and not just the like sort of burden and load of having to make these big decisions, wanting to make the right ones. Right. And being at the end of the day, a good, a good parent and a good mom, but I didn't realize how polarizing these decisions were going to be. It's almost like you have a baby and you get like indoctrinated into this world where it's like, all right, which camp are you going to choose? Are you um, breastfeeding or bottle feeding? Are you vaccinating or not vaccinating? How are you, how are you, what's your sleeping situation? And all, oh my gosh. So not only the decisions, but then also how polarizing it can be. And so you you wrote this book bottom line for baby, but before we get into it, I want to first hear a little bit of your context. Like what brought you to do the work that you do and what inspired you to write this book?
1: You know, I never thought I would write books. That was never a plan. Um, I wanted to be from the time I was probably 8 years old, I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom and I when I was marrying my husband, I was like I want to stay home. Are you cool with that? You know, that was like almost a yeah. deal breaker for me. Um, my jobs always involved taking care of children. It just was always a passion of mine. And so, um, when I got married, we waited six years to have babies so that my husband could finish his dissertation. He's an English professor so that we could afford for me to stay home. But I'm from California and we were living in Texas and Kentucky doing all of our graduate school. Um, and he got a job out here in, um, LA, which is my family's from Southern California. So I was super excited and, you know, I, we've got this new baby. And um, when he hit about six months, my husband was like, we can't afford to live here on my salary. So you've <laughs> got to go back to work. And I was like, but that's not the plan. And he's like, yeah, yeah. but the plan's not working. <laughs> so I, I basically was like, look, I mean, so my undergraduate degree was in education. I wanted to teach high school English. I did that for a period of time. Um, I always loved teaching. Because I felt like I wanted to invest in people, that that was what would make my life meaningful. Yeah. Um, so anyway, we um, he's like, you you know, and I was like, OK, well, we've got kids and we're going to have more. So if I'm going to work, <laughs> I need um, a, I need to be a professor because that's the schedule it's going to allow me to be with my family the most. So I have to get a PhD. So give me a minute, I'll do that and then I'll start. <laughs> give working. me a minute. Yeah. <laughs> so when my oldest was um 18 months, I started a PhD program and um I was able to juggle between a neighbor and my husband and my mom and myself. We were able to kind of juggle my class schedule and childcare. Um, and I would read you know, journal articles at the zoo on the curb while my husband was showing my son the elephant. And you know, I just Oh my made gosh. It work. Can, I,
0: can I just quickly say that I I needed you when I was making this decision to pursue a PhD because I unfortunately the people that were around me, the women that I talked to, the mothers that I talked to who were in academia, they were like, No, if you've already had kids, like, if you want to have more, like I was not getting the narrative that like I could make it work and I went I went and got my PhD when my daughter was one and I had I had my son while I was in the program and I needed it was madness but like I actually feel like I was a better mom and a better student because I like all of a sudden my boundaries were super clear because I wasn't, and I wasn't just killing myself at school. I was like, all right, school is school. And then this is my boundary when I'm home. And I feel like it actually served me, but I never heard those stories. So I I wish that I knew you then.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I did, and I had a second kid in the program and then I was, um, I had my third, like mid dissertation defense, you know, it's like a lot, but, um, but, you know, it worked, it worked. And um, so what, what was interesting, and and I think, you know, your friends are in academia, if you want to go into academia, and there's ton, like tons of pressure around tenure track and all of yes. that, if you don't want to necessarily do that, then um, it, it can be great. So anyway, I was one semester into the program, With an 18-month-old, I was assigned in my group to um, teach about attachment science, which is very different from attachment parenting.
0: Yes. Um, yes.
1: So as I studied attachment science and what mammals do and how they regulate their young's states of stress through um, being close to them and through regulating states of distress through nurturing that made a lot of sense to me. And I was really hungry to learn about the brain. And I, I went to a conference and I heard Dan Siegel speak. And I had been a really frustrated grad student because I always want to know the mechanism. Why? You know, if this yeah. therapy works for this population, why does that work better for this population? What's the mechanism of change? How does that happen? And when I heard Dan speak about this field of interpersonal neurobiology, I was like, that's my why. I understand now. I had a, I had a lens to help me make sense of this. And so... I finished the Ph.D. program while also studying with Dan um, a few hours a month in this intensive professional study group. And as I was learning this and sitting in L.A. traffic, you know, we were learning about um, what kinds of experiences we can provide people to help integrate their brains when they are having problems, right? These were like looking at adults. And I was like, but wait, what kinds of experiences can I provide my children to build and integrate their brains from the beginning? And so I was studying child rearing theory in my Ph.D. program. I was in the trenches parenting and I was learning all this new emerging science about the brain. And I was like this is revolutionary. Like if parents know what's happening in their child's brain when they're having a tantrum or when they understand that a six month old can't manipulate because they don't have the neural structures to do that. Like this is stuff parents and teachers need to know. And so that's where my life really shifted. And I said, I've got to share this with people. And so that's really where the books came is me applying interpersonal neurobiology in my own life and sharing it with other people. And then I went to Dan and said, hey, I want to write a book with you and everybody wanted to write a book with Dan, but he loved what I sent him and that's how it happened. Mm. Now the books I've written with him, you know, I'm so proud of the whole brain child, no drama discipline. I still feel so passionate about because I feel like the way we see and respond to kids behaviors, is really outdated. We really need to shift our lens. Most of what we do in the name of discipline is actually counterproductive, making it less likely kids can learn. That's a whole other conversation. And then of course we wrote the yes brain and the power of showing up. And the power of showing up is really about that attachment science. You know, what are, what's the, What's really the thing we know best predicts how well kids turn out? And that's that secure attachment relationship. And so, in that yeah. book, we talk about the four S's of helping cultivate that in our kids. So, this book is my first solo book. The Bottom Line for Babies is my first solo book. And it's very different from the other books. The other books were way more fun to write, I'll be honest, because
0: they're basically. <laughs> I can like, imagine.
1: <laughs> they're like, love your kids, okay? Like, that's yeah. what the books say. Um, this book is over 65 topics. Um, or over sixty topics that where I had to read I had to read the research on you know, germs and probiotics and you know, sleep training and do you give kids Benadryl on an airplane? Like I had to read all this research. Um But Tina, you
0: know, that's what we needed, right? Like exactly. I can I can totally so as somebody who's like been in the trenches with research and stuff like I was reading this book and I was like, oh my gosh, I can only imagine the amount of time she had to spend in 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 the trenches with, with this with research, right? Like because a lot of times this these studies they stay in these academic books and then like they kind of make their way to the general public in different ways, and different formats. But like what we needed, Tina, was someone to do that work I and know. then to bring it into something that is easily digestible, understandable, but also has the like coming from the heart of a parent, right? So to understand right. how big these decisions are. We needed someone to do that, but I can only imagine <laughs> all the work that it went in. It wasn't to- super
1: fun. Unfortunately, I had a couple of research assistants that helped yeah. all that. But yeah. I'll tell you why I wrote this book. And I'm glad, I know I'm I'm years away from the baby years, and I'm yeah. glad I waited to write it until now, because this is the first, this book has been in the back of my mind forever. It, this was the first book I longed for that didn't exist, and it still didn't exist. And for a while, the book was going to be, I mean, as a new mom, I had that experience you talked about at the beginning, where you know, I'm like you, Cassidy, I want the research. I want to know what is it, it, you know, what does it say about pacifiers? Is it okay? Is it going to cause nipple confusion? You know, what's the deal? And the more I would read, the more confused I would get because I was reading things that totally contradicted. And then the more people I talked to, the more confused I got, even so, because they had competing advice and they did want to evangelize about their camp. And there's obviously people want, you know, people are so, can get so, um, aggressive and, um, and actually really mean spirited around some of these issues, because I think it threatens them feeling like they did it the wrong way. So they want to make sure everybody else does it their way. So they feel more confident about that. But this is the, the thing is, is that we when we have new babies, we have so many decisions to make ones we have no idea we even have to make when we're going into it we get competing information and we don't really have time to sort through it all. So I haven't done anything in this book that someone else couldn't go and do. So this, you know, someone else can go and do this research. They might draw a little bit different conclusions on some of the things, but um, I really worked to be super objective, which is why in about a third of the entries, I also have um, a section called a note from Tina. So really the way each entry is laid out is like, what are the competing opinions on this? Like what are the main schools of thought? What does the science say and what is the bottom line? And then in about a third, I have a note from me. And this is where I weigh in because I either say, look, I didn't follow this science and here's why. Or here's something that the science hasn't looked at that I think is really important. Or sometimes I just tell the story like tummy time was stupid for me. Like my kid's face was just (laughs) in the carpet. It didn't work. Like, you know, whatever. (laughs) Um, But I feel like we, the reason that I wanted, my goal and, and wish for this book was when a parent needs to make a decision to alphabetically flip to that entry and within just a couple of minutes, get empowered with knowledge. And then to say, I'm confidently making a decision about what I'm going to do for my baby here. And it may or may not even follow the science, but you're you're being intentional. And I really want parents to be empowered also after they're you know, after they have the knowledge to decide what works best for their family, to trust their baby and to trust themselves. Mm. It, it's impossible to even follow all of the recommendations from the science. Some of them are in conflict with each other. And so we should never like when we think about this every decision we make as a parent is not in a vacuum. It is part of a web. So let's say I follow the science that says, mama, make sure you're super well rested so that you're less vulnerable to depression and you have less conflict in your romantic relationship. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's say I do that. Well, that means I'm not going to follow the scientific recommendation to feed my baby on demand in those early months. Right. So if I'm going to follow my the scientifically to feed my baby on demand, because that's probably a health, that's a health issue that should, you know, trump the sleep for me. I'm going to do that. Well, it might mean that I'm grumpier during the day with my other kids and yep. I'm picking on my spouse. And so all of these decisions are part of a web. And so we may even make decisions and have to shift or pivot because they're not working for our family. Mm.
0: Oh my gosh, Tina, <laughs> So, first of all, I was dying laughing when you said tummy time. My kid's face is just in the carpet. Like, <laughs> this is literally my thing right now with my daughter. I'm like, all right, we got to do tummy time because, you know, like, like I don't think I did it enough with my other kids. Like, me, none of them crawled until they, like, were past one years old. And, you know, now, like, they're in occupational therapy. And, like, I wonder if it's because I didn't give them enough tummy time. <laughs> like, and so I'm, like, stressing out about giving my, my third baby tummy time. And her face is just in the floor the whole time. And I'm like, okay, like, are we not – we're clearly not doing it enough. But then at the end of the day, I'm like, this is stressing me out. And I kind of just want to do FaceTime with her. Like, she's awake. She's not awake that often. I'd rather just, like – be looking at her and like smiling with her yeah. and doing goo goo gaga's with her. And also, I think that that's also important for like speech development. And, attachment. and so let's just do that. I mean, everything, like everything you just named and that this is, this is, this is part of like the mental load, like this invisible load that I think that a lot of new parents carry is trying to just sort of navigate this, these decisions, these decisions that often, yes, feel conflictual too. Like, you know, when it comes to sleep training and these sort of things, these things that are so polarizing. And like you said, the community of new parenthood can be so aggressive and shaming and judgmental. And so we're just trying to make the best decisions for ourselves, our babies, and our families. Um, And then we're also trying to navigate feeling judged for all of these decisions that we're making that we don't necessarily know the science around. It's like, okay, what is the right answer? Like these both can't be right, right? But then sometimes I think that the answer is it is conflicting, like you said. Yeah
1: we have to remember every baby is different. Every parent is different. Every family is different. And that might even be the same kid might be different a month later. Like if you wait for tummy time for two weeks, she might be ready for it. right? Right. So I think we have to really, that's part of also trusting development to unfold. I think, you know, it's so obviously it'd be so good if we all approached every human in every moment with, with the belief that I have about kids, which is most of the time they're doing the best they can. And I think, you know, coming after other parents and stuff, again, I think it, it's it has a lot to do with um, if you do it a different way, then maybe that means I'm a bad mom. And what I really want to give the message from this book, my favorite thing someone said about this book was hard science and gentle reassurance. Mm, what yeah. I want from this book is for parents to um, really feel like a lot that we worry about is not something we have to worry about so much. But I think if we can approach every human with that idea of we're doing the best we can to really yeah. support each other, that's super important. And I know I said a minute ago, I'm really glad I waited until now to read this, to write this book, um, even though I'm out of the baby phase, it's because now I have perspective. Yeah. And I know you know how different it is, even just eight weeks in to parent for the third time versus the second time versus the third time. I've raised three kids. Oh. My youngest, yeah. my, my kids are all teenagers. And by the way, those those nagging questions and doubts, you know, do I did I not give them enough time? We still those are still present in the teenage years. Is it okay that they're, you know, going out mm-hmm. with that friend? Is it okay if they get in that car? Is it okay if they're in their room yeah. that amount of time? You know, all those questions are still there. Um, but I think the perspective is so important, and it leads back to kind of the the criticism that happens amongst parents, and that is my, um, I had a best friend. We grew up together. We went to college together. We even shared a wedding dress. Um, you know, we like, cause we were getting married within the same window. We're like, Hey, half the price, you know? Oh um, gosh. and we both had babies within a week of each other, our first babies. And she and I were really opposite on a lot of the big decisions. I mean, wow. really opposite. And it was really interesting for our friendship to have to shift and navigate that we're still very good friends. um, but what's really cool now is her baby and my baby are both 20 now. And mm-hmm. her, neither one of our kids are perfect, but both of them are super awesome. And so yeah. I think that's the perspective yeah. too is that when you read, of course, the decisions we're making for our babies are important. But where we come down on the decision, is often not as important as we think it is. Yes. So whether or not you breastfeed, whether or not you pierce your baby's ears, whether or not you circumcise your child, whether or not you lick their pacifier clean instead of sanitizing it, like all of those things, yes, they're important. And they're important to you and they're important to your yeah. child. But they, most of them don't really impact who your child turns out to be. Oh, one hundred percent. we can God. just take a breath on that.
0: Yes. So Tina, I I got on Instagram like two weeks ago, and I was I'm I'm still very very much in it postpartum, but I was like, you know it was still very, very fresh then too. And I got on Instagram and I was like, I just, I wish that I could bottle up the perspective that I have now with this being my third that I did not have with my first, I wish I could bottle it up and like pass it around to all of, all of the new moms. I wish I could have given it to myself, this perspective that like, you just don't have that first time. Like I, I remember with the first, like I went into even just birth, I went into birth with a very rigid birth plan of like how this baby was going to come into this world. Cause this was my Mm -hmm. first parenting thing, right? Like it was so rigid, Tina. It was like, it's going to be a vaginal birth. We're going to have this magical first hour where we're skin to skin. I'm not going to have any pain medications. (laughs) And then when it all went to shit (laughs) and I mean I can laugh about it now but at the time it was very traumatizing um and and it ended up being a cesarean and when they took her out and my husband was like she's here look at her and I couldn't even open my eyes to look at her like Mm -hmm. and that was from exhaustion but it was also from shame and it was from just how traumatizing everything was and I was in that space and if I like that, that little girl that was born. And I was like in that, that period of time where I was like, I just screwed up this first parenting decision. Like my body is broken. I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't try enough. I wasn't strong enough. If I could, if I could fast forward and get this image of this, of who that girl would turn out to be and how connected and attached we are and how secure she is, I could have just given myself that perspective gosh, I would have, there would have been so, I would have been so, it would have been, it would have lightened the load of like that shame and that trauma and that judgment that I had towards myself, but that I also felt in the community that I was in of mothers. It would have been so, it would have been so, so nice, so great. And then just every decision that came from that point forward, it's like, Oh, do you want to give your baby a bath here in the hospital? Right. And I'm like, wait, let me Google this for a right. second because I didn't realize this was a decision I had to make. And I'm like, well, oh my gosh, this is all I didn't know. I didn't realize this was such a huge decision that I, and that had so many opinions around it. I know. And am I making the right one? And then every decision from that point forward. And And just, and not just, yeah, the decisions, but like we're naming here, like the, the different camps, like which camp are you in? And, and this, and like these camps are determining based on the judgments that you feel like you're receiving and not just from others, but the own, the own self judgment, right? Like, am I making the right decision is like making this sort of case of if you're a good mom or not. And if I could go back to, My postpartum self that for that first time, and how much um, pressure I felt to—it's not just breastfeed, but that word exclusive, like exclusively breastfeed, you know—and if I could then fast forward to you know years later when you know my my child finds. A chicken nugget in the backseat that like, I right. don't even know how old it is and they're <laughs> eating it. Or like, you know, I'm like, I'm like begging them to like finish their French fries in order for them to have the ice cream. Right. right. If I could fast forward and see myself then and be like, you know what, if your bo- baby takes a bottle of formula, because that's going to help you get more rest and you're going to feel like a human again. And, or, you know, whatever the case might be, like, if I could just tell myself that, like, what you feed your baby first is not going to determine the future of their feeding choices, you know, um, yeah. gosh, that perspective would have been so wonderful. And I think would have been so protective against postpartum anxiety, at least for me.
1: I think that's Um, right. I I wish people, I hope people will take the bottom line for baby in their go bags because you are making decisions at the hospital about baby's first bath and that's in here. And can I give my kid a pacifier? You know, those questions are in there, but I love what you're saying about, you know, about your birth experience and even the shame and even grief and loss around your expectations not being met. And I, I super identify with so much of that. Um, I think our birth experience, well, pregnancy too, but our birth experience and everything that follows is such a life lesson in not in that idea that we are not in control of things. And, you know, if you've ever tried to make your child eliminate, eat or fall asleep, you know, you're not in control of them, truly, (laughs) truly. Um, But I think that it's, you know, parenting is such a constant exercise in giving up control, which is not the same thing as setting boundaries. Of course, we want to set boundaries and, and, you know, we don't want to be permissive parents, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about controlling someone else or controlling our circumstances. It's also a constant lesson in humility And it's a constant lesson in flexibility because I can get really rigid. Um, you know, I was super, um, I, you know, I, I nursed my kids for longer and longer with each child. Yeah. Um, I I loved breastfeeding. It was really freaking hard. I almost gave it up several times with the first, but I had a friend that just basically would say it's really hard in the beginning, which I didn't know. I didn't know it was going to be hard. No one no, told
0: me. That. Nobody told me. Yeah. That, like I was going to get like and was going to get so mastitis painful. or what yeah. mastitis even was, and that I was yeah. going to get plugged milk ducts and not to just like keep pumping. And I was getting more plugged ducts. Like yeah. nobody. And it was really really hard and it was really hard in the beginning yeah
1: and so when my friend was like it's really hard it's hard for everyone she's like you're just finding your rhythm give it two more weeks you're not allowed to give up for two weeks and in two weeks we'll talk and then we'll see you know and I was actually in rural Texas with no support at all um like there weren't any lactation specialists or anything like that but um but I stuck with it and it was amazing and I loved nursing all three of my kids um so I'm no one send me a message saying I'm anti-breastfeeding because what I say in the book is that, yes, you know, there are multiple health benefits for parents and for babies and if you have the option to breastfeed do it but if you can't or it doesn't work for you that doesn't mean you're not a great parent and you know like I think about you know I have a friend who wanted to breastfeed her milk supply was so low but she was spending so many hours pumping that she wasn't interacting with her baby so she was a better parent for not breastfeeding. And I, I you know, I was super rigid. My third baby was jaundiced in, um, in the hospital. My, I was like, my milk's going to come in. It'll be fine. I've done this a million, million, million months. Like, this will be fine. But my milk didn't come in fast enough. And my baby was getting more and more jaundiced. And I was like, no, you can't give him formula. I was so rigid about it. Well, mm. he ended up having to be hospitalized. And it was awful. It was traumatic for me. Um, we spent yeah. the postpartum days where he was supposed to lie in a box where I couldn't hold him. And I was like having to, like, it was just awful. Had I not been so rigid, had I had this book, had I known the research that if you supplement, especially in those early days to try until your milk comes in, it doesn't, it doesn't ruin breastfeeding, right? Like no. I didn't know any of that. And so it
0: can actually help with breastfeeding. Exactly. It can
1: actually, yeah, so yeah. I think it would have been really helpful. I think Based on everything we've been saying, one of the most important messages, I think, in this book, besides there is a bottom line of the bottom line, which is the most important thing is that um, your baby um, has repeated but not perfect experiences of knowing mm. that you will see and respond to their needs and show up for them. That's, that, and that's really what the power of showing up book with Dan is really all yeah. about, too, and building that trust and you meeting their needs so that they get wired in their brain that when I have a need... These people show up for me. That's the most important thing. But I think my other big, big message from this book is there are many, many ways to be a really great parent. Mm. And yeah, I think that's really important. And so if you don't do what all your neighbors are doing, or maybe you're in an, you're in a, you know, earthy, crunchy kind of natural, you know, childhood, free range kind of community in your preschool... And you're hiding that you're sneaking in formula, you know, because you don't feel like you will be accepted. Like, know in your heart that you are a great parent no matter what you decide about these decisions. It doesn't – these decisions do not make or break the quality of your parenting. They just don't.
0: I mean, I'm just hearing you say this, Tina, like it's – and also just because I'm so in it right now and I'm (laughs) – But, like, it's making me – it's making me emotional thinking about my first and just, like, how – how overwhelmed I was with the decisions and feeling like, and I'm just thinking about all of the new parents out there who are at this, it's their first and they're in it right now. And maybe they're listening to this, like how much I needed somebody to say that. And I really, for me, I really wanted it to be a, a somebody who knew the science, right? Like, cause I think I was hearing, I was hearing that from a lot of people, like like my my, my my mom who was really supportive and you know some my partner who was really supportive of like any decision that we make it's gonna be okay but I was I was kind of indoctrinated into some of these new parent communities where I felt like if I made the wrong decision I was a bad parent and I was gonna be judged um, and there was my own little inner inner critic that that came along the ride for me too that was just part of me and my own sort of self-judgment of these decisions. But I really needed someone to tell me that it was going to be okay, that it was okay to make the, the the decision that felt right for my family and that it was a web of decisions. And just because this person is doing it this way, doesn't mean it's the right. Like, I think I needed to hear it from somebody who actually knew the research. And at the end of the day was still going to tell me like, you have to make the right decision for your family, and every situation, everybody's context is different, and every person's baby is different, right? Like, Absolutely. and we have to take all of that into consideration when you're making these decisions. I just, I really, I really hope that if there's a new parent and it's their first time and they're listening to this right now, that they hear what you just said. It's so, it's so important and so protective. I think when it comes to our mental health, our mood. And you know, at the end of the day, like is breast milk amazing? Yes. (laughs) Like is is having a happy parent and somebody who is, who is well and able to attune to their needs because they're getting sleep or because they're taking care of their mental health. Yeah. That's also super important, right? Like,
1: yeah. And that's why we have to, it's, it's like back to your birth experience. You know, sometimes we don't get everything we want (laughs) and that's really hard when it comes to you know our children come out I mean obviously my life's work has been dedicated to creating the kinds of experiences that help our children develop optimally but Mm -hmm. our children do come out very much who they are and sometimes even how our child responds like you know I'm um I'm a mix of introversion and extroversion, but I love being with people. And I had, my firstborn did not, he did not like noise or commotion or a lot of people in the room. And, you know, and, and so, so much of it is about really tuning into our baby's needs, but tuning into our own needs. And we matter too. Parents, you, those of you who are listening, you matter too, because what your child needs from you is a happy parent you know a parent yeah. that is joyful and engaged not all the time but you know a lot of the time and so if you're if you're doing a parenting practice because you think it's the quote unquote right thing to do or because you're getting pressure to do it but it's not working for you and it's making you feel resentful and it's taking you and pulling you out of relationship with your child that's joyful mm. please feel free to make a shift it's just really important um, that we have that freedom, and I think too, so much of this really comes back to, and including the Mommy Wars, which should be called the Parent Wars. Um, right. It's all because it matters so much to us. So that's the other thing yeah. I try to remember when people come after me um, is to say they care a lot about parenting, mm-hmm. and they really care. You know, they feel passionate about this. Um, Because it matters. And and because raising our children well is probably the most important thing in our entire lives for most people, there's a lot of fear connected to all of these decisions. The problem is when we feel fear, we act on the fear. And a lot of times we're not even aware that that's what's happening. Right. and so we, we live then in this cycle of fear-based parenting as opposed to really being present and being attuned I mean when you are really in a fear-based state your attention is primarily on protecting things from going wrong right. but if you're in a if you're really focused on your child um, and you you can feel confident about the decisions you're making then you can really, you're not, the fear isn't what's ruling you. It's your child's needs that are ruling you. And that's so important.
0: And it's so much easier to tune into the need, the needs and everything else that's kind of going on around us when we're not in, when we're able to kind of move out of that fear response, because that fear response gives us that tunnel vision, right? Like the tunnel vision where you're just like hyper-focused on the thing that feels like the threat, you know, but in that space, it's so hard to, to tune into, to tune into the context and all of the other pieces that can come into that way of making that right decision for, for your family. And, you know, coming, when I think about my, my very rigid birth plan and that experience that was traumatic and that I did have to get therapy around and like really process and get help around. But when I think about it, when I think about it, I have, and I think about my daughter now that, that child that was part that, that I birthed, right. That was part of that experience. And she's at the age now where and because we just had a baby, she's asking about birth, and she's asking about her own birth story, and the fact that I was able to share with her, like what my experience was, and how rigid I was, and inflexible, and 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 how challenging it was. My hope is that we can continue to have these conversations, and maybe one day, if she chooses to have a, a baby, that she can that we her, like I can support her in, in not having those same rigid expectations, yeah. right. That it can become, the story doesn't just end like, okay, I had this birth experience. that was not what I wanted and I failed her. No, the story keeps get it. I, we get to keep writing it. Right. That's and right. like, I get to keep writing it with her now. And, and for me, um, it kind of feels like repairs, right? Like yeah. it's not that like what I what what that birth was was bad or wrong, but it feels like I get to keep working on that experience in becoming her parent and in a relationship that just keeps continuing. It didn't just end with that birth. I didn't turn out how I wanted and that I didn't get to hold her in that first hour. There's so many hours that get to come after that's that. Right. You know, that's and right. I think that that's what, I think that that's what I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have that perspective and I wish that I could just bottle up that perspective. But what I feel like your book is offering, especially Tina in those that, that one third where you're, where you're, you're coming in as like, that that parent that person that didn't always follow the science and and feels in the right like that sort of heart of a parent i think that's sort of the perspective that you're offering in that book and i think that that's gold like that's what that's what i wish that i had and that's what i wish that any parent who's in it right now for the first time could could really absorb and take in and hear
1: well i think that we we have so many fears and we're told that tunnel vision, like you said, would we say like, oh gosh, if you let the baby sleep with you, they'll never sleep on their own. Like, that's just okay. not true. A lot of the things that we have fears about, and that make us feel shame or that we feel unconfident about aren't even true you know a lot right. of the things that we just you know the whole idea of you know being drawn to your baby and wanting to hold your baby and then people still saying you're gonna spoil her if you pick her up that's just wrong that's not right. true um, even now people say you know if you if you reinforce bad behavior with your attention um, that reinforces the behavior that's not true right. attention is a need we cannot spoil them with attention and if it truly is a need and you can think about this from a you know, a, a, a evolutionary perspective that if you don't have your parents' attention, the lion might eat you and your parent might not notice. So attention really truly is a need. It'd be like if when people are like, oh, she's trying to get your attention. Let's be like, she's trying to get you to feed her. You know, like it's a need. And if it's a need and someone doesn't respond to it, you have to get bigger and bigger and bigger. So when we ignore our kids, it actually often amplifies the negative behavior. And behavior is usually communication about something the child needs help with anyway, um, or a skill that needs to be built. But I think that, that perspective that you're talking about, that's one of the things I'm really proud about the book too, is there are a lot of things we worry about. And when you read it, you're like, oh, I don't even have to have that worry. That's not even something I need to worry about. And then other things we might not know to think about, like making sure the noise sound machine, like the white noise machine in our baby's rooms, isn't too loud, and we can check that really easily. Um, by measuring the decibels using a sound app um, in our phone. Um, And then you can just cross that worry off. So I think pulling us out of um, fear more into confidence based on knowledge. Cause you're right. Like if someone's like, it doesn't matter, like your baby will be fine no matter what. I wouldn't believe any of that either. I needed to read nope. the science. Um, <laughs> <Me too. laughs> and, uh, but I think the other thing too, that I'm hoping is that it will give parents some confidence around um, tuning out and shutting off even the the voices of people who are criticizing or who are not, you know, not supportive of their decisions. I'm hoping That you know, you can even hand the book to your mom and be like, "Look, mom, read this section on germs. It's fine that I licked the pacifier clean. It's gonna have her have less eczema and allergies if I don't over sanitize her environment." But I think too that you know, just having the confidence to move forward, it also gives you. For me it would give me the confidence to set boundaries I needed to set with other people because I'm a people pleaser. And so I think if I'm armed with the knowledge, I can say, you know, I'm confident in my decision and not feel so like, well, maybe she's right. Maybe I am doing it wrong. What if I'm, what if I'm doing it wrong? And there's all of that. But when we have that confidence, it's much easier to set the boundary. And, you know, I think a good thing to say to a parent or a friend who is, you know, giving you grief about your decision is to say, I love that you care so much about mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. child and that you care so much about me. Um, I've made my decision about this and I feel confident. I'm not going to change my mind about it, but I, I really love that you care so much and thank you for your input. So it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be a war. You know, mm-hmm. I, um, I, I use a version of that phrasing when I set boundaries with my kids too, is I hear what you're saying. I understand you want that, but I, Made a decision and I'm not changing my mind. And if you if you need to be sad about that decision, I'm right here with you while you're upset about it, right? Yeah. (laughs) So um, you know we can we it's a similar setting. Sometimes setting boundaries with adults is very similar to setting boundaries with our children.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, as you're saying that, I'm just thinking about my six year old last night who just really wanted to play on his iPad when it was bedtime, and I was like, "This is the boundary," and he lost his mind because he was over. He was so tired, and so I'm literally like holding him. Him and hugging him and kissing him and comforting him about the thing that I'm not letting him do. And he's right. like, receiving it, you know, he's like this. It's like, yeah, this sucks. I get it. And like, I'm going to hug you through this, but we're not going to change the decision. I, you know, and I'm, I'm talking and I about, oh, go ahead. I I love that you're also saying we can do the same thing with other people that we love in our life, right? Or that love us, that care about us, care about our child, and we can use that same sort of almost like parenting um, parenting tactic with with them, right? Because we we want we want this person to know what the boundary is, and we can do it. We can set it in a loving way um, and uphold it while also acknowledging that they may have feelings about it. But like this is this is still the boundary that that That's we've right. made and the decision we've made
1: because it's your baby and your family and you are the best expert on your baby and yourself and your, and your family. I, I love your um, bedtime iPad story and it brings up such an important point to think about with our babies as well. And that is when I realized, and I, I, I often talk about this when I'm talking about the power of showing up and helping our kids feel safe, seen, soothed and secure Mm. is that once I realized as a parent that when my child was falling apart, when something really difficult was going on, like true adversity, or my child was internally having big diverse adversity, even if it was really just that the fish, the tail broke off the goldfish cracker. It wasn't, you know, true adversity, but internally it was a big thing for my kid. So um, that in those moments, it was incredibly liberating once I came to the place where I could understand that I didn't have to fix it. I didn't have Mm. to um, change my boundary or change my mind about something.
0: You know, my kid wants
1: to stay up later and I'm holding the boundary because I I'm, know he needs sleep and he's melting down because he wants to stay up later. And if I if I can say this is so hard, you're feeling really disappointed and I'm with you while you are feeling disappointed. If you mm-hmm. need to cry for a while, I'm just right here with you. I didn't have to change my boundary. I didn't have to distract him. I didn't have to throw threats like, fine, if you're going to cry, we don't have time for stories. I didn't have to right. do anything but be present to his feelings. So we can say no to a behavior while we're saying yes to our child's emotional experience and yes to saying at your worst, I will be here for you. Mm. Yeah. And what's so important about that is, and, and relates to the baby stuff, is that, you know, our babies sometimes have to have vaccines and they, it's painful and we can't, you know, we can't protect them from that pain. Like our babies... And our children are going to have moments, again, that we cannot control that are really hard. And sometimes, you know, I have a child with a chronic pain disorder and Mm -hmm. when he's in pain and he's suffering and I can't do anything, do anything about it, it's excruciating as a parent to, to go through that. But I think when we hold on to this, it can help us so much. And the this is what builds resilience is not protecting children from difficult things that makes them fragile. Mm -hmm. The difference between dealing with difficult things and it making us fragile versus making us resilient is this. When children deal with hard things and difficult things and big feelings and not getting things their way and all of those things, and we show up with enough support, that's how they build resilience. So resilience is having difficult things happen with enough support. Mm -hmm. Because when that happens, our child is like, wow, I can handle hard things. Like when I feel disappointment or grief or sadness or anger, that is really unpleasant. But now I've had lots of experiences with support that keep me from completely losing my mind or I lose my mind and then my parents still there for me. I know I can handle that. I can handle big, hard feelings. I can handle difficult things. And my people show up for me so that they, to give me that additional support. So even when our babies, you know, are having, um, you know, difficult things happen that, that maybe, so I guess, let me say it this way. Yes, of course, shots that are painful, but even if we do things as parents where we're trying to do the best, like Mm -hmm. we're trying to potty train, but we're really frustrated. And we're, we are short tempered. um, And then we make a repair with our child, like even those parental mess ups, or even those times where we are misattuned, or maybe we make a decision and later we go, gosh, that probably wasn't the right decision for that kid at that time in their development all of those things, we can actually say those experiences, because I was present and I showed up for my kid and I loved them to to my best capacity, yeah. those mistakes I made are even part of their resilience building. Yeah. And so we don't have to sit in shame. We can say, yeah, I have given them the most important thing they need to be resilient. We have hard, hard things difficult things not perfect things happen but that's is part of my child's resilience building
0: oh my gosh i mean it's 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 so everything you just said is so important because the the world is not going to be perfect right like the world is not going to be perfectly attuned to their needs at all moments no. and i I I when you speak to the shame of like feeling like there's just something wrong with me that I reacted to my baby this way or to my child this way, I mean, I know that I have sat and swirled in that shame for many, many times, but because I have, I mean, I've read No Drama Discipline, Whole Brain Child, like I I really soaked in all of this stuff. And so if anybody's listening to this, I'll put links to all of those books in the show notes because they are like my, my go-to when it comes to those, those really tough parenting moments and decisions. But now with like my six-year-old and my nine-year-old and like, I mess up all the time. I probably apologize, especially right now that I'm right. really not getting a ton of sleep. And it's like, you know, they were home all the time doing e learning. And we, we just spent a lot of time with each other with a lot less um, access to things outside of our home that would, like, you know, help us kind of regroup. Um, living in a global pandemic while parenting and having a baby is tough. Like, I yeah. would have been, I would lose it, right? Like, I would have that postpartum, like, anger or like those moments where I would just snap. But the other day I had a moment where I did that and my 6-year-old cuz he uses this language he says, "Mom, I think you're in the red zone." And I was <laughs> like, "Uh, <laughs> yeah." And I and then my and then I came back like a little bit later and and apologized to him. And then I apologized to my 9-year-old. My 9-year-old was like, "Yeah, I knew you would." Like she knew that I was going to come back and apologize. So like in that moment, she was able to regulate herself enough even though I wasn't able to like be there and supportive and regulate myself in that moment she was like wow mom is really out of sorts right now like but she was able to do something inside to regulate herself and knew that I was gonna apologize later and like that that is like that's that is everything to me right that like even in those moments when i'm screwing up and in in that moment in my head i'm like what are you doing cassidy stop it like stop it but i'm not able to because i'm just in that like (laughs) that spiral you know and almost like i just can't get myself out of it to know that like when i come back and repair that maybe in that moment they were able to know that i was going to do that or regulate themselves a little that's like proof to me that, like, all those moments of being imperfect were okay, right? Like, it Absolutely. was okay, it was yeah. okay. I'm still a good mom, <laughs> you know.
1: It is, it's almost like you know, the first time you have like a massive diaper blowout, you know, yeah. you're like, oh my gosh, and it's this big deal, and now you're like, yeah, diaper blowouts happen. I mean, it's kind of similar <laughs> to your daughter <laughs> watching your stuff blow out, right? Um, yeah. that, you know. I think and that's a big thing we talk about the power of showing up too is that idea that, you know, we are going to have ruptures, we are going to flip our lids and go into the red zone and all of those things because we're humans and our children often kind of amplify our states of threat sometimes with, you know, what's coming at us, but as long so we become unpredictable in that moment. Yeah. We yell, we're not our typical selves, you know, we're unkind, we're immature, you know, whatever it is. But well, when we make sure. uh, Why do I yeah, go there? Oh, no, I oh, get really that's, immature. <laughs> yeah, that's my go-to uh, meltdown. Yeah, I get really sarcastic in a cutting way, not in a fun, lighthearted way. Um, no. But then your kid's like, okay, this is, she's unpredictable and she's kind of maybe even scary or mean right now or whatever. Yeah. But if we consistently go and make the repair and, you know, the language I often use, is, I'm so sorry. I wish I had handled that differently. Yeah. Um, can I, will you forgive me? Or can I have a do-over or whatever it is? And when we make that repair, it's exactly what happened with your daughter is that even the unpredictability doesn't feel that unpredictable because they're, yeah. they're like, yeah, she's going to come and make a repair. And what that mistake or what that mess up moment does is, is it actually widens our children's window of tolerance, which is one of Dan Siegel's beautiful phrases. It widens our children's window of tolerance for messy relationships. So your daughter now has had enough repeated experiences to say, yeah, sometimes there's conflict in relationships and sometimes we disagree and sometimes it's messy, but we always make things right. So then when there is conflict in a relationship she has when she's older, she doesn't think, oh no, the relationship is over. She's like, yeah, this is something we have to work through. So in a way, those mistakes we make as parents, they really do build resilience.
0: Oh my gosh. 100%. I mean, I, I think that I'm always still working on my window of tolerance. <laughs> like, oh, of that's
1: something we that all
0: are. I am continuously working on, you know? And so the, the, the fact, the idea that like we should have that all figured out and be perfectly attuned at all moments is just, it's ridiculous. It's absurd. Like we're, we're human. And I think that one of the gifts of our imperfection that we have to offer is that like, they're going to make mistakes and they're going to, they're going to have blowups and that like when they're doing it, it's not that there's something wrong with them. That's right. I mean, they should feel shame around, um, or be sent, you know, be sent to their room and just like come out when you have a smile on your face. Cause I don't want to deal with it. Like it's, you know, it's one of these things where they realize that, like, their humanness is, is okay, right? And like,
1: beautiful, yeah.
0: And beautiful. And I,
1: yeah. when we have the expectation that we're going to be perfect or we – that is an absolute invitation to a shame spiral. Yeah. And so we – you know, we our expectation should be I'm going to do my best, but I'm going to mess up all the time. And oh. now my kids are going to know I don't – I'm not perfect, and I don't expect them to be perfect either. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And even with what I just said, like there have been times where I have sent my child to the room or I've had my screaming baby like screaming and I it's like they've been screaming for what feels like hours and I have to just put them down in a safe place and walk away. Yeah. Like sometimes these moments happen and then what we're saying here is what's in, what's so important is that like, okay, I needed to go and I needed to regulate myself and then I came back and I repaired. Right. That's and right. then I tuned in. Like that's, that's the moment that, that really matters.
1: And then, after a pause, and we have a moment to kind of sit with it for a minute, there's a part two. And I think the part two is curiosity. Mm. So then, I think when we have these, when we act insane as a parent or immature, that is actually an invitation. And so I, I really try to go to a place of curiosity because actually curiosity and shame are pretty opposite states. You can't yeah. actually be curious and shame based at the same time. So going to curiosity and asking in, you know, and it, this, our behaviors are an invitation to ask this important question, which is what was that about for me? Yeah. And, and I, and a, and a part of that is saying, okay, it might be like, I haven't had enough sleep. No one's let me pee by myself for seven weeks and I'm starving. That's what that was about for me. And that's that's all it is. But it could be that, that it could be something deeper. It could be saying, um, I'm still feeling grief about my birth experience mm-hmm. or when my child rejects me and wants the other parent that does something inside of me that I don't understand. And I need to figure out what that is because it's going to continue to intrude on who I am as a parent. So sometimes it's a, it's a lead to either some exploration that's going to allow us to be free to be the parent we want to be. Or it's also an invitation in the moment to say, okay, what is it I need right now? What is getting in the way of me being the parent I want to be sleep? Okay. Well, I can't really do much about that right now. Or maybe tonight my partner needs to get up and feed the baby you know, once in the middle of the night, so I can be a little more regulated tomorrow or whatever. But it's really wow. that important check in of what is it that I need to be the parent I want to be. Um, and as we continue to ask that question with curiosity, not only does it keep it out of sh- us out of shame. Um, and by the way, when we are feeling shame. That actually gets really in the way of being able to tune into our kids. So we really wow. want to, to go to this place of curiosity. And then it, it can often be a prompt to do something to care for ourselves that will make us a better parent too.
0: Oh, 100%. You are speaking my love language Tina, <laughs> right now. Curiosity.
1: Can I oh. can I suggest two little quick hacks? I'm not usually a hack person. Give um, me the hacks, yes. But when we, when I've, I've tried a lot of different things, you know, I'm a, I'm a licensed mental health professional. I've worked with a lot of parents. I've parented for over 20 years now. Um, I've tried and have suggested lots of different things to help parents calm themselves down when they get in that red zone state. And there are two things that have consistently been really helpful. So one is taking, I know, like people talk about taking deep breaths, but I want to be really specific. If you inhale for like a count of five and then you Mm -hmm. exhale for a count of seven or eight, it doesn't matter the numbers so much. Don't pass out, like do your breathing, counting, whatever works for you. But the idea is having your exhale longer than your inhale and if you Mm -hmm. do that two or three times it activates the parasympathetic branch of our nervous system that kind of turns our volume down so that's really helpful and sometimes it's really helpful to do that when you have a a hand on your chest uh, like over your heart and a hand um, right below your belly button with just a little bit of pressure or if you're holding a baby just Don't squeeze your baby too hard, but just a little bit of squeeze. Um, And then the other thing, which has been revolutionary in some of the clinical work I've done with people, and we talk about this in No Drama, so I know you know this one too, is even if you feel like yelling, you feel like being, you know, unkind, immature, whatever, is to force yourself to sit below your child's eye level, not at, but below your child's Um, eye level in a relaxed posture And try not to say too much because within two to three minutes, um, which I know is forever when you're trying to stay regulated, but it activates a completely different neural network Mm. when your body is in a relaxed posture below someone's eye level. So if you're standing over someone and you're, you know, shaking your finger at them and using an aggressive tone of voice, you're actually activating more of your fight circuitry. But when you go below eye level in a relaxed posture, you're activating totally different circuitry that allows you to get to regulation and empathy and insight.
0: Oh, my gosh. And it's good for them, too, because they're, you're you're not over them in this, like, posture that they're going to feel threatened by. Like, it is – oh, I it's love that. It's super
1: effective, too, because it when really we do is. stand over them with that kind of thing, it actually can activate their fight-flight-free right. circuitry, and it right. pushes them into the red zone. Um, right. So it actually – and, and this is actually something I learned from a chaplain. She said the most important thing when I walk into a room to be with someone in their difficult time is that I sit down. That's the most important thing that I do. Mm-hmm. And she said, when I sit down, I communicate, you're important to me. I have time for you. Um, so when we, when our, you know, when our children are older and they walk in the room and we sit down and we push our devices away from us, um, we communicate that. And when our children, any at any age, and by the way, this below eye level works on your spouse too, um, is when you sit yes. down in that posture, you're telling your own brain, I don't need to fight. I, I can be present. There's no threat here. I can handle this. But you're also telling the other person, your child, I'm here. I'm ready to listen. I'm here with you.
0: We are in alignment. I just recorded an episode on postpartum rage a few days ago, and we talked about the the breathing. Um, we talked about like the parasympathetic and sympathetic system um, and how, what that can actually turn on and turn off. And so if anybody is listening to this and you've listened to that episode, you're hearing it now for the second time from Tina, like <laughs> try it. I know it sounds because people are like, yeah, yeah. Therapist telling us try to take it. a deep breath, but like, no, really, really, really do try it. You know what's and funny about it too, Cassidy,
1: is that um, because I've done that regularly, like before I would yell or before I would, you know, act out. Um, I would put my hand on my chest and my hand on my belly and I would take that those deep extended exhales. And it not only would it regulate me, but it would also be like the harbinger of doom to my, like children would be like, oh, she's that mad. We better rein it in. So it kind of like gave them a, like a, you know, warning um that that's <laughs> yeah. where we were
0: <laughs> that, that's ex- like literally that's exactly what i just what i said in the in the other episode when I, to my guests i was like and the other day when i did this my daughter was like oh okay and it actually for her it actually signaled like all right mom's mom's like getting back down to like earth right now <laughs> like she's gonna yes. she's gonna apologize soon um so yeah it was it's like a signal to to your children and you know it's like it's funny because a lot of times like uh, we'll tell our kids, okay, try, try taking a deep breath. And if they don't see us doing it, it's like, well, why would I do that? Right. And so if we just model the behavior, like it's, it's show. And then the next time we, we support them and being able to kind of learn some of these skills themselves, it's like, well, yeah. I've been seeing you do it. Right. And so we're modeling it and they're so much more likely to do what we do than what we say. And so I, right. I love both of those hacks. Thank right, Tina, thank you so much. Um, bottom line for baby if you're listening please please I'll put a link in the show notes this is the book that I wanted and needed with my first I mean just going over the contents like everything is in here from baby wearing to bathing to bug spray like it is all it is all in here and I I really recommend it and like you said even earlier even if it's one of those things where like you read it you feel empowered yourself but then it's something you can hand to someone else um, somebody a parent a grandparent that is like, you know, a part of your baby's life, and you're wanting them to understand um, why you're making the decisions you are, you can hand this book to them. And, and if they still don't agree, then then you take the other the other supportive advice that Tina offered earlier of just saying, I love how much you love our baby. And this is the decision that we've made, right? So thank you, Tina, so much. Where can people find you?
1: Yeah. So my website is tinabryson.com. And the place I'm posting the most right now, the most content, because I'm putting stuff out about pandemic parenting and things like that, um, is on Instagram. And my handle there is Tina Payne Bryson.
0: Wonderful. Tina, thank you so much for taking the time today. It has been such a joy to have this conversation with you. Thank you.
1: Oh, I love talking to you too. And good luck with all your littles.
0: (laughs) Thank you. You've been listening to Holding Space Podcast. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, you might want to hit that subscribe button to be the first to hear when new episodes air. Looking for more support? I teamed up with a board-certified Obi-Joyen to bring you two e-courses for expecting and postpartum parents. Head over to the show notes to learn more. Thank you so much for inviting me into part of your day today. I'm so grateful, and I hope you have a beautiful, wonderful rest of your day.